Okay, well, good morning, everyone. This is a little different. Um, I remember, can you, can you all hear me? Uh, give me a thumbs up. All right, I see you all waving over there. Thank you. Okay, good, good, good. This is a little different. Um, I remember last June, right before we were able to meet in person again, I said that I really, really hoped that um, I would not have to preach from my desk ever again. Um, but here we are. <laughs> and uh, just this week, um, one of my housemates, Daniel Lowe, a great friend of our church, he's a regular guest speaker of our church, um, he, uh, he's, he's tested positive. You could be praying for him. His symptoms are, um, I would say, not serious, but not great either. And so uh, hopefully you don't hear some coughing uh, coming all the way from the other room. I would hope my, this microphone is, you know, uh, powerful enough to to weed that out. Um, but uh, until his symptoms uh, go away, uh, then I'll start taking tests to see if I can go back outside. But um, so far, I don't have any symptoms, but uh, just out of being cautious, knowing that um, people are still um, people are still getting COVID and still experiencing symptoms. Um, it, we thought for today, we're going to use the amazing technology that Jeremiah and Enoch have rigged up for us so that I might be able to preach from my desk, even though I had uh, hoped very much not to have to do this again. Um, but the amazing thing about, um, I think, the couple years now pandemic is that um, we've been able to learn how to adapt, and I really thank God for that. Um, I mentioned to you all last week that I got to visit my grandma the week before, and I went to church with my aunt and uncle, and there was a um, pastor and his wife from Ukraine who um, were here uh, waiting, when they can, uh, waiting when they can go back um, to their home country. And so they were uh, sharing with us um, in that service. And um, knowing everything that's going on over there, um, the pastor said he really sees that God was preparing them during the midst of the pandemic um, for when their church would be scattered all around the world as refugees um, to be able to uh, just still meet together. And so um, on a much lower scale version of that, uh, even though I can't be there in person today, uh, I'm glad that uh, I can still be blessed by, um, by the time of singing that we have together. And uh, it's still really important for us to gather together and see one another's faces. And I am finding that to be all the more true now that this is, I think this is like day four, um, mainly just com confined um, to my room. So anyway, um, yeah, be praying for Dilo. And, uh, um, but we get to continue on in our series that we've been going through, um, that God puts the lonely in homes. Um, it's kind of a good segue that Daniel talked to us so much about the uh, kind of the statistics and also just anecdotal evidence about loneliness um, in our world uh, pre-pandemic as a result of technology, certainly during the isolation of the pandemic. Um, and now for me, uh, going on several days in my room, um, I realize that what we are trying to share as a result of this series that um, God is with us and meets us in our lonely places. Um, when I was sound checking, I was telling Jeremiah, I haven't used my voice for a couple of days, so I had to drink some hot water. I don't have any COVID symptoms as of yet, but um, it's been a little lonely being confined to my room. And uh, I, I believe I'm experiencing what a lot of you already have um, during the course of the pandemic, where members of your family may have tested positive. Maybe you had to quarantine in different ways or just be careful for various reasons. And so um, it took me back. It took me back to what the start of shelter in place was like. Um, 
And when I think back on the very beginnings of Shelter in Place in early 2020, looking back on it, I wouldn't trade that time uh, really for anything. Um, as I've been stuck in my room, like I've done all the normal things uh, aside from having Zoom meetings and, you know, uh, preparing for things like, you know, such as seeing whatever's new on Netflix or um, cleaning. My room's a lot cleaner than it was before. Um, and rediscovering uh, my uh, worship playlist from Spotify that we used to send, like encouraging songs to each other when we were all stuck in isolation. Um, but more than anything, I do remember in the early days of when we were trying to figure out what was going on, there was this closeness to God that I remember feeling, even though we were all separated um, physically, um, that uh, I'm kind of thankful for these last couple of days because it's forced me to kind of revisit why did I feel that sense of peace? And why does it go missing? And there's all kinds of reasons for that, but it makes me that much more convinced of what we are trying to teach in our current ser ser uh, sermon series, that God um, gives us a fam uh, relationships and a family to be a part of that can meet us in our loneliness. Um, so today's message is called A Loving Heavenly Father, um, I'll be looking at a lot of passages with us, and so um, we'll get into that as we go. Um, but uh, as we know, this is our theme verse that we've been looking at, um, especially verse 6, where it says that God sets the lonely in families. And last week, we talked about the power of adoption, the word adoption, and as it appears in Scripture. And we talked about several adoption stories that are maybe near and dear to our hearts, um, as there have been families in our church in the past who have adopted children. Um, and I shared the story of uh, good friends of ours, um, of our youth group, uh, the Kindlebergers, who are currently living in Madagascar. Um, this is Brandon, his wife Anna, and their son, DDA, who they adopted, and kind of shared the power of this story. Now, in last week's message, um, I made a pretty big claim that if we understand our relationship with God, that we are children of God, then we have the same amazing story as DDA or as other people who have gone from knowing no family or like a really uncertain future about who they might live with or what their futures are like to being put in a loving family. And it's a big, big claim to say that if we know who Jesus is as our Savior, if we know God as our Heavenly Father, then our story is the same as DDA's. Because when we hear that story, we think, oh my gosh, it's so powerful, it's so amazing. Like, that's like kind of next level experience of, of uh, just being chosen and being adopted. Certainly that hasn't been my experience. And yet when we believe that we are children of God, that is our truth. In the intro to our series, um, Daniel shared that we want to do two things um, in this series. Uh, we want to see how God meets us in our loneliness um, and sets us in families. Um, and he said there are two ways that we experience. And the first is what we're going to focus on today and the next couple weeks, that God brings us into the home of himself, the home of the Trinity, where we get to have a relationship with God, the Father, Jesus, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and also how we get to see how this places us in a new community of believers. And we will talk about that more, uh, several messages down the line. Now, we know in going through this series, as we talk about our loneliness, or as we talk about the concept of family, 
we know there are certain tensions for us that may be unavoidable. Um, there may be ways where just hearing the word family can be very painful for us, depending on our circumstances. And we understand that that is true. And while we want to be sensitive to um, just the challenges that we all may have experienced, the pain that um, we may have experienced um, being broken people that live here in a fallen world, we also want to share the hope of what it means um, to be uh, to be put in a family the way that this um, the way that this psalm is talking about, and so um, we we know certainly that this could be a challenging topic for us, but nonetheless we find it very important. And so, um, of the two ways that we want to show that this verse, Psalm sixty eight verse six, is true, um, we want to see how God brings us into the home of Himself, the Trinity. And so to go back to what we talked about last week with adoption, why can we say? that our story is the same as DDA's. We might say, that's such an amazing story. Months of Brandon and Anna like flying to Africa and not worrying about any other responsibilities but waiting for the adoption to become final. Like That's an incredible picture of who God is in the ways that he's gone to great lengths to choose us. And we're gonna talk about, this, this mor- talk about that this morning. And so if we are going to say that our story is the same as his when we know what it means to be adopted by our Heavenly Father, um, that's a big claim, and we want to see why that is. And so uh, um, why can we believe this? Um, I believe we can believe, we can see that this is true because of the Heavenly Father uh, that we have. That's reason number one, and we're going to see more as we go along. Um, but here are the three... Um, the three points for this morning. Oh, before I get into that, I just want to say, um, when we think about uh, the three persons of the Godhead, and we're going to see why that's important in just a minute, um, we are uh, kind of indebted to a great friend of our church, Dr. David Ekman. He was a seminary professor um, for quite some time at Western, um, where Rupert and Daniel graduated from. Other members of our church have been there um, in the past. Um, and so Dr. Ekman used to teach there, and now he's doing uh, lots of ministry worldwide. Um, but he's a great author who's done a lot of work in trying to share with us how it's just it's too general to say God loves us and wants to be with us. But when we think about God the Father, Jesus the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, what role do each of them play in our lives? And how do we experience them? And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple weeks. And so if answer number one of two to this question, how does God meet us in our loneliness, is that he brings us into the home of himself, the Trinity. We want to see how God the Father, Jesus the Son, and also the Holy Spirit how we can experience relationship with all three of them in various ways. There's so much in the Bible about these, uh, about the three different parts of um, what makes up one God, and that's why we find it important for us to define. Otherwise, when we throw around terms, like we say, Dear Heavenly Father, or we talk about the Holy Spirit, if we don't know how to differentiate between them and yet see how they're all one, perhaps we may not experience this relationship with God as he wants to meet us in our loneliness. And so that's why uh, we believe this is uh, such an important series for us to be going through. So um, here are the three points for today. Um, We're going to see that God, as we're talking about a loving heavenly father, God the Father, um, one part of the three beings who make up the Godhead, we want to see that God the Father wants us to know him. And then we're going to see that God the Father loves us at our worst. 
And finally, that God the Father knows what we need most. So we're going to look at various scriptures that help us understand these three characteristics of God as our Heavenly Father. And hopefully that shows us uh, just, it helps answer the question, how can we believe that we have been adopted as his sons? Just as powerfully as we've seen in just the earthly stories of adoption um, that represent the amazing love and uh, just sacrifice that our God has uh, paid for us. So first, what does it mean that God the Father wants us to know him? Um, Let's see. Uh, Before we do that, let's see. All right. Where does this concept come from is the first thing. Like, why is it that Jesus is called the Son of God if this is the Godhead and there is uh, just a, there is a, um, a, a deity amongst these three, like, members? Well, how did it come to be that we understood God as the Father and Jesus as the Son? And you see this idea, I was trying to search, like, different parts of the Bible to see where did this passage originate from? And I may not be going back far enough, but I wanted to at least go back as far as Isaiah um, just to show that in the Old Testament, there was this concept that God, the God who was leading the Israelites, who had um, led them out of slavery, who had done all of these things um, just to show his love and dedication and commitment to them, um, that there was this concept of God as their father. And we see this in the book of Isaiah. Now, if you know the book of Isaiah, um, it's, a, it's a very bleak book for the first uh, giant portion of it where it's showing how God's people have turned away from him. But the last several chapters, including this, uh, where this verse comes from in chapter 63, um, talk about the hope that we still have because of God's enduring faithfulness. And so it says here in verse 16, but you are our father, though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us. You, Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from of old is your name. And what this here is saying is it's commenting on how God has not forgotten his people. Even though people who follow Abraham as their physical um, person of of descendants, um, that people have turned away. God has not turned away from his people. And yet there's this word, our Father, as the people who are trying to turn their worship back towards God can call him a father. And so this concept has been there for some time. And then secondly, I'm struck by how often Jesus talked about his own father in the course of his teaching to the disciples and to others. Um, I have to admit, I'm very heavily influenced by watching The Chosen, um, the the series of uh, just uh, the TV series that kind of depicts Jesus and the disciples. And um, at least two seasons in the early parts of his ministry, you see the character who plays Jesus referring to my father. Um, And it's very interesting. And you see this in various ways. Um, We see this as Jesus is teaching in the book of Matthew where he is trying to talk about the Father's will. And he says, as he's been teaching and demonstrating um, through miracles and through healing and also teaching about the kingdom of God, he is saying this where he says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so the word Father shows up three times there, but it starts by Jesus saying, my Father. And it shows that in Jesus referencing who God is, he knows that he is the son of God and the God in heaven is is his heavenly father. And he wants people to see that relationship. 
And then in the famous verse that we know, John, uh, following John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Many of us know that verse because it talks about what it means to be saved by Jesus. That he then goes on to say, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, this passage appears in the same section where we talked about how Jesus says, knowing that uh, in John chapter 14, this is one of the last days before Jesus dies on the cross, where he is encouraging his disciples to know where he says, I will not leave you as orphans. He is also saying, if you really know me, you know my father as well. And how encouraging it is in in verse seven, where he says, from now on, you do know him. And I share these things just to say that it is clear, I think reading throughout scripture, that God, the Father, wants us, his adopted children. He wants us to know him. And we see this as we go on to the, uh, the very end of this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples in the upper room at the same time where he says, I'm the way and the truth and the, and the life. Several chapters later in John 17, he says this, He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. And so as Jesus is preparing to leave the earth, because he knows the time has come for him to die on the cross in the coming days, he is encouraging the disciples Um, to see that they can know their heavenly father. And in John 17, these words that we just read, this is where Jesus himself is praying to his heavenly father. And he's saying in verse seven, now they know that what you've given me comes from you. And it's a way to show that the disciples, as they've been following Jesus for some time, they are starting to learn who God the father is. And I think this is really powerful for us because In all of these ways where Jesus is showing his relationship to his heavenly father, it shows us the power of relationality within God himself and how that extends then to his people. Um, If you know the book of John, in John chapter 1 in the intro, it talks about how uh, Jesus, the word, the living word, has been there since the beginning of time. And what you see when you read the book of John and for Vertigo, as we've been reading uh, through the book of 1 John on Wednesday nights, you see this deep relationship between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit from the beginning of time. And the fact that he wants his disciples, his followers, to experience that same thing shows us just how relational God has been from the beginning and how he wants us to experience that as well. God the Father has this deep relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but he wants us to know him and he wants to know us. And so when we say that, that means when we say God is with us, God will meet us in our loneliness. It is not just some nice cliche to to try to believe that the presence of God is, is kind of with us or we can kind of experience it or feel it. He's saying, you can really know me. And it shows us that God means what he says when he says, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. And it shows that there's this new kind of relationship we can experience. And we see that this is true throughout God's word. Story after story, not just in the New Testament, but even going back to the history of God's people about how God wants to be present with his people. Um, As I shared about the story of uh, the adoption story of DDA last week, I shared with you all how how, uh, 
when Brandon came to be our speaker at our youth retreat, um, he had DDA come on stage and share a message of God's love with us. I mean, it was really quick. He was young, and um, but it was amazing to see the confidence that he had um, to share this message with us as he's staring at 250 Chinese faces, you know, um, just looking at us all um, from the stage. And uh, I was I was looking through uh, just some of their family photos on Instagram as they now live in Madagascar because they believe that God has called them there um, to serve and be a part of the church there. Um, and there was one caption that Anna, um, DDA's mother, um, uh, posted on an Instagram photo. And it's in Mexico, the same base where we go to, and Brandon is a regular speaker there. And the same thing that we experienced at the youth retreat where DDA was on stage sharing something with his people, uh, with the people who were there, um, there was this caption that Anna put on there and she said, he wants to be just like his father. And I thought that was so powerful because that's why this, I shared with you all last week, that's why this young boy who had been an orphan in Africa could then have the confidence to stand in front of people on a stage at a super young age and share about God's love. And I think, and I shared the reason why he has that confidence is because he knows his father and he know, his earthly father and he knows how much he loves him and that inspires that confidence. But that's a great picture of what it means when God, our heavenly father, loves us. And so um, it's interesting because I think the challenge that some of us may experience with the language of the word father is we might have our own human baggage that goes into it. We might have our challenges with our earthly fathers. There might be, uh, there might be struggles that we've had. Um, and uh, I'm going to share a couple stories about life with my dad because it seems relevant to this topic. Um, and if they seem negative, I promise it will turn out well in the end um, as there's been so much healing that I've experienced in my relationship with my dad. Um, but it's really interesting. There, I, I know there's this, uh, there's this image that um, people have used where perhaps when a father returns home um, from working and he, his kids want to see him, it's like, oh, dad is home, hooray. It's like, I was that crazy, hyper, annoying little kid that would like run up to like, run up to like greet my dad when he would come through the door when he would come home from work. And so, um, and sometimes my dad would be really happy to see me. And sometimes it was like, I think he was so tired from a long work day. It was just challenging. And as, a, as, a, as an adult now, I can look back on it and see why it might have been tough for him to like have this crazy screaming five-year-old like running at him as he comes through the door, um, especially given that he was a high school teacher and he was dealing with kids all day and here's this loud like, you know, crazy one running at him, um, you know, as he comes through the door when he's like been through a lot in that day. I can understand that a little, little bit more now as, a, as an adult. Um, but as a kid, it, 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 I, I realized subconsciously it can raise questions like, how come my dad isn't happy to see me? Like, is it just because he's tired or is it something else? Does he not want to know us or understand us? And here's the thing, as an adult and now experiencing lots of healing that I have with my earthly father, I can see that the analogy um, is meant to help us understand who God is, but it only goes so far. And that there is this picture of who God is as our heavenly father. But when we read these passages, we see this is how much God doesn't want to hide himself from people, from his followers, and how he's the perfect heavenly father who wants to know us and understand us. I've made huge strides with my earthly father. There's a lot more we can talk about now where uh, maybe uh, for years, especially in my teenage years, it was hard to talk to him. Um, he's never going to understand why I listen to K-pop. He won't even ask me more about it. 
Um, there's a human side to it. I get it. But there are so many more conversations we can have now as a result of healing that we've both experienced. But when I look at these passages that show how God is constantly revealing himself in various ways to his people from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way up until now, and as, he's, as Jesus is about to leave the earth and he says to God the Father, he says, my disciples, they know you now. That's going to have such amazing implications for the church in the days after Jesus dies and resurrects. And all these verses exist to show us that God wants to know us and he wants us to know him in this deeper kind of relationship. And I think that's the amazing part of what we see as Jesus spends this time with the disciples in the upper room. And even this concept of God as a father um, from back, uh, back as far as Isaiah and possibly even before. And it's speaking of this deeper kind of relationship. Now, if we're continuing to answer the question, how do we know that we can experience God as our father, that we are these adopted children of God? How do we know that this relationship goes so deep? And that leads us to our second point this morning. And that is that our worst does not stop God from wanting to know us. God the Father loves us at our worst. And so that could be a possible barrier for us, that we might think, am I really lovable? When we think about the ways we fall short, when we think about the sin and the brokenness that exists in our lives, we might think, I've done too much bad stuff in my life for God to really see me as someone worth knowing. Like if you really got to know me and everything that, you know, besides just the, the image that we project to others, when we know the darkest parts of our lives, we might think, does God really love us? Does he really want to know us? I mean, I know those passages we just read say as much, but how do we know that God could want to know us? And the amazing thing about the gospel is that it does not depend on how good we've been or how, how, just, yeah, how pleasant we present ourselves to God for him to love us. And we see that in some powerful passage, verses in the book of Romans chapter 5. And so let's see that here. Yeah, this is Romans chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this shows us that God doesn't only love us at our best. I think human tendency is to love each other. It's easiest to love each other when things are good, not when things are bad, and certainly not when things are at their worst. And yet here in Romans, we talked about the context of Romans last week, how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's Romans chapter 8, where we see that uh, because of what Jesus has done, God does not condemn us, but that's where we can know that he has adopted us as his sons in verses 14 and 15 um, of Romans chapter 8. That's how we can know that despite our lowest points, despite our weaknesses, despite the very broken and dirty parts of our lives, God loves us. And that's so counterintuitive to what human intuition would tell us. And yet that's why I'm so thankful for the very powerful story that I think is familiar to a lot of us about the prodigal son, where we see the heart of the father for a son who has run away from home and just, he is at his worst here. 
And so for the sake of time, um, because there's lots of passages we're looking into this morning, if you know the story of the prodigal son from Luke 15, there is the son who asks the father for his inheritance, which would have been an incredibly insulting thing at this time. It would be like saying, like, you know, father, give me the money that I'm supposed to receive when you die. So, you know, there's kind of a, a wishing of not of, of a lack of relationship or a severing of relationship by doing this. And if you know the story, the son that Jesus tells, the son goes off and he spends all his money by partying, by all kinds of stuff. And he loses everything to the point where he gets this job feeding pigs and eating the food that he's feeding to the pigs because he's lost everything. And in that low point, in that lowest point of his life, he realizes he needs to humble himself and go back to his father and not to go back to achieve the status of his son or just to be welcomed back. But he's saying, if I am, have, if I am working in this extremely low position and situation where I don't have anything else, perhaps my father will let me come back to him as a servant, not as a son, but as a servant. And I can have a better life than I'm experiencing after I've now thrown everything away. And what happens in the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 to illustrate this, uh, to illustrate the love of the heavenly father? Starting in verse 20 of Luke, Luke chapter 15, we see this. So as the son is coming back home, rehearsing what he's going to say, ask, wanting to ask his father not to be restored to where he was, but to be one of his servants, just so he can have a very low position in his house. This is what happens. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. When we think about what a depth of relationship is all about, it's easy to uh, experience good relationship when everything is fine, when things are peaceful, um, when we might have a close bond with others where we can joke around and, and not take it too seriously. But really the true depths of relationship is when we know that we're accepted at our lowest points. And that's what was true for the son in this story. And the reason Jesus tells this parable is to show this is the ultimate love of God, the Heavenly Father. And we've heard stories like this in testimonies that we've heard at our church. I don't think it's unfamiliar to us to see where we have gone astray, where we have experienced our lowest moments, where we've thrown everything away or we realize there's no way to actually have meaningful relationship with others as a result of our sins or as a result of our choices. And yet God in his amazing grace, not because we were good, not because things were just okay, but while we were still sinners, he died for us. And he sent his son to die for us, to show us that the ultimate relationship, it's not just getting along all the time, but it's when you are at your lowest point can you go back to this, to this person and still experience a, a close relationship? And what the father does here in this story is he doesn't just say yes to the son's proposal where it's like, okay, now you can come back and be my servant. 
but he puts a ring back on his finger, signifying that he still has his place within, his, within the family. And that's the amazing thing about knowing a loving and forgiving Heavenly Father. If there are things that we've done that make us think there's no possible way that God can love us, it, Jesus shows us the heart of the Father. When we are at our worst, our Father will love us. That is what true depth of relationship is. And so as we saw in the first point, yes, God wants his people to know him. But what does it mean to know him? How can we trust that we've had this experience, this amazing experience of adoption? It's because of this. It's because of the unconditional love that God the Father has for us. And that is such good news. And so that should, in our moments of loneliness, maybe there are ways where we've brought that upon ourselves. There are times where we cut ourselves off from human relationship for various reasons. And if we feel that we are unlovable because of our worst moments. I pray that we can find encouragement from the truth of this iconic story, that God is that father. How do we know he didn't withhold his son? And what else can we know about this depth of relationship that we can have with God the Father? And that brings us to our last point, which is this, that God knows what we need. Our heavenly father knows what we need most. And I want to focus on this point um, from the perspective that God gives us good gifts. And uh, so let's see. Yes, this is our final point. God the Father knows what we need most. And there's a passage that I'm sure we've preached on before, but it's been a while. But it illustrates this idea of God giving us good gifts and knowing what we need most. We see this in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13. Um, this follows Luke's um, Luke's. A depiction of the Lord's Prayer as Jesus is teaching about uh, prayer. Um, We've been going over that, right, in youth group uh, on Fridays. And so after the Lord's Prayer, the Luke version of it, he says this. He says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I think this is a really good explanation that Jesus is giving of how God the Father knows what his children need most. Um, In thinking about my relationship with my earthly father, I realize several gifts that I've received along the way. Uh, The first one I want to share is a gift that I didn't, I definitely didn't want at the time. Um, I'm not sure I want it now. Um, well, I'll explain what I mean by that. But um, a gift that I think my fa- my earthly father was trying to teach me were the dangers of procrastination as a child. Um, lesson really hasn't been learned yet. It's still something I think I struggle with to this day. Um, but I remember being horribly behind on a math project when I was in sixth grade. Daniel has this amazing story about how, you know, he went outside in the rain when he was not going to finish his physics project and how uh, just the amazing story of how his dad said, Daniel, I love you. Come back inside. That wasn't my story. (laughs) I wish that was. That sounds amazing. Um, my My dad's lesson to me in that moment was, when did you get this assignment? Why are you just starting it right now? And it, it made me feel worse. And I think I 
buckled down and just was able to kind of finish it. Definitely didn't get an A on it. Um, but it was a lesson in procrastination that um, he still tries to teach me to this day. Now, as an adult, I can look back and say, you know what, this is a lesson that I've desperately needed, especially because it's something that I still find challenging. Um, but it was a way where it was something that I think my earthly father, why it was so important to him was because he knew it would be something that would be helpful for me and out of care for me. Sure. It could have been communicated in, in maybe a less guilt driven way at the time. Um, but like I said, we've experienced so much healing. I can understand his intentions for why he would want me to hear that message. Um, a gift I did want from him at the time that I didn't even ask for. Um, was this. I've shared this in various Bible studies and probably sermons too, but it's been a while, so it's okay. But um, I shared this recently at Vertigo, um, but as we were thinking about uh, the love that that God the Father lavishes on us in 1 John chapter, the early parts of 1 John chapter 3, I talked about what I felt like was a lavish experience from my earthly father. As we were driving home from one of my hockey tournaments uh, in high school, um, we stopped at a rest stop to use the bathroom on Highway 5 uh, coming back from L.A. And, uh, you know, we were walking by the vending machines. And as a little kid, I would ask my dad to buy me something out of the vending machine. And then he would explain to me how the cost-benefit analysis of, like, vending machines versus buying, like, stuff at the store is, like, completely different and why you should avoid vending machines at all costs, Right. And so on that particular time, as we were both tired from a long weekend and he was driving me back home, it was Memorial Day, he had to be back at work the next day, I knew he was really tired. He stopped at the, as we were walking past the ice cream machine and he said, which one do you want? And it was so unexpected to me because I was like, but what about like the cost benefit analysis and how like, you know, the, the ratio of like how much cheaper ice cream is at the, at the grocery store. But in that moment, He just wanted to do something nice and loving for me. And obviously it's still meaningful because, you know, more than 20 years later, here I am preaching about it at this time, right? And what I realized is as a kid, I would ask my dad for things. But as our relationship hardened in my teenage years, I realized that perhaps I was beaten down by too many lessons about procrastination, that I had become hardened to not wanting to ask him for things. And as we've experienced healing in our relationship, I do feel like I can come to him now and ask him if I need something. It's taught me that as our relationship is healed, as we've experienced healing, that I can ask him for things. And for youth group, as we looked at the passage, give us today our daily bread this last Friday night. It's a way where it is utterly incredible that we can ask God, think about the start of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be his name because he's holy, he's set apart. He cares about our daily needs and what we're going through moment by moment as well. And that's a father who really knows what we need. Now, when you roll all three of these ideas into one thing, the fact that God wants us to know him, the fact that, um, the fact that God uh, meets us at our worst and it doesn't turn us away from him, and how he knows what we need most, it really culminates in what God has done for us on the cross. The cross is what helped us be forgiven of our sins to be able to have a relationship with God in the first place. The cross represents how we are able to be forgiven, even at our worst, to see how that doesn't stop God, our Heavenly Father, from loving us. And what did we need most? 
as the disciples were thinking about all the things they needed from Jesus, maybe wisdom to, you know, figure out what life would be like after he was gone or some kind of political insurrection they were hoping for or just more know-how of just all the lessons he's taught them, what he gave them was the most important thing. And that was his sacrifice for us on the cross. The forgiveness and grace that we received from his death. And that's why the verse that we read in Romans 5.8 is so powerful. And I want to end with that this morning. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is the heavenly father who wants us to know him. He doesn't want to only know us sometimes, but he wants us to know, he wants to know us all the time. That's why we have the ability to pray to him. He wants us to know that there is nothing that we can do that will turn, turn his heart away from us. The way that the father in the story of the prodigal son goes running after his son in his lowest and worst moment. That's what it truly means to be forgiven and to experience unconditional love. That is the true depth of relationship. And what did we need most? We needed this salvation that God has done for us through the, through the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus on the cross. And so if we were trying to answer the question, really these amazing adoption stories, how can I believe that that's my story as well? We see at least one part of our answer as we learn about who God is as our heavenly father, that he wants to know us, that nothing will separate us from him, and that he knows what we need most. And it's a way where we can start to see the good news of what it means that he does meet us in our loneliness. Um, in all of the plans I had to cancel for this weekend and all of the alternate arrangements and all of the like kind of rehashing how all my equipment works at home to be able to preach here on Zoom in ways that I never wanted to, I've been thankful that even though there are very lonely elements to what a quarantine looks like, the way many of us have experienced, our Heavenly Father wants to know us. And so I really consider it a gift of God to have to work on this sermon as I'm kind of stuck here in my room and to know that this is true for us. Do we believe that we have the same story in the powerful adoption stories that we've heard and that we've seen? That is what it means to know God as our Father. That is the deep sense of peace that we can have when everything in our world is so crazy. And it's because of who he is that he wants to know us, that he's made a way for us to know him, and that nothing will separate us from him. And I pray that we would be thankful for that this morning. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, that we can even come before you in prayer. And God, um, Lord, we just... We know there are so many imperfect examples of relationship that we might see in our world. And yet, God, we thank you that we can call you our Heavenly Father and know the depths of what it means that you love us and that you want to be with us. God, I pray for all of us who are struggling in our relationships with family this morning. Lord, I pray that we can uh, do our best not to hold it against those in our families that we have differences with. But God, we can see the love and grace that you've shown us. And God, that we can start to show that to others and that can bring healing. Lord, I pray for those who do not have family members present with them, who may feel a very uh, ultimate sense of loneliness. And I pray that you would meet them where they are at. 
And God, in all of our moments of loneliness, Lord, I pray that we would see that there is a perfect and loving Heavenly Father, and nothing will separate us from you. And that we can know that you have gone to great lengths, even death on a cross, so that we might have this opportunity to know you. And Lord, as we continue to see how you meet us in our loneliness, how you have uh, shared the ultimate relationship that you have with your Son and with the Holy Spirit with us, Lord, I pray that we would just have this overwhelming sense of comfort and presence that comes from knowing you. And as we continue to see how Jesus, the Son of God, and how the Holy Spirit um, relate with us as well, Lord, I pray that this would be part of just the truth uh, and the confidence that we can have. God, that you set us in your heavenly home. We can start to experience that now. We'll experience it all the more with you the day we are with you in heaven. And God, that we also have the blessed, the, just the blessing of experiencing a heavenly body of Christ that, we, uh, that, that meets us in our loneliness as a picture of just how much you love us. God, we thank you so much for that. And as we sing this last song together, God, I pray that we would be thankful for the depths of your love. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.